episode, I'm talking to an intentional living coach who is insatiably curious about human behavior and has a penchant for sweet potatoes and sunsets. She helps overworkers and perfectionists slow down and find balance by clarifying what truly matters to them. When not coaching, my guest devours books and podcasts, takes many pictures of flowers, and is improving her handle of the Japanese language. My guest is Julia Dekaneva. I'm Aiden Nipom, and this is The Changed Podcast. Julia, welcome and thank you for being on the Change Podcast. Amazing. Thank you for having me here. I'm so excited. I'm really excited to talk with you as an intentional living coach. I just have questions about like what does that what do you mean by intentional living? That implies that people are walking through their lives living um accidentally. I mean, in some ways I think people are uh mm-hmm. what I found in my own life as an overworker in my kind of in my youth uh was that I would just stay so busy and I didn't have to deal with all of these other pieces of my life that I was really yeah. happy having all the challenges at work and I saw my coworkers doing the same thing and a lot of the times it was a product of not wanting to deal with big emotions or um, something scary that they wanted to dive into, like they want to write a book, but they are kind of afraid of failing. So mm-hmm. for me, intentional living, it was um, a kind of a concept that I ran into when I was working as a professional home organizer, and I was helping people declutter and find storage solutions and having that process of purposefully keeping an item in your life, because it, you either you love it, or it's serving you to live the life that you want to be living. Um, And so just really kind of co-opted that as my philosophy for just living life in general. And, and I love that idea. Where sort of, does this, does this life choice spark joy? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly. And a lot of people have trouble with um, sparking joy when it comes to things like your broom or your vacuum or something (laughs) sort of more utilitarian. Um, yeah. And that's where I think it's important to say, oh, but I like, I really enjoy being in a space that's clean and that feels comfortable to me and it helps me feel calm. So that item doesn't like make me want to sing from the rooftops. But it may spark the environment in which you feel like singing. Do you find that there's a relationship between folks who have cluttered homes and folks who have cluttered work-life balance? I think there is. There are sort of different categories. So, you know, people often think a lot about hoarders, which is sort of a if its own um, sure. kind of mental health sort of psychology. Um, but if I think about the people who are sort of um, habitually disorganized, um, they're really, really busy and they have several children and they have a house manager and a lot of people they're managing. And it does the state of their home always reflects how they feel about their actual life. There's always this sort of domino effect of when you clear out your space and it feels calm, but you don't feel calm yet, then you have like a moment of panic where you're like, 
what work do I need to do? I thought this would be it. And that's kind of why I was like, <laughs> internal decluttering now. That's now's the time. Match your outside to your inside. And yes, yeah, you were I mean, if you do the internal decluttering, does that seem to run over into people's physical space as well? Does it work the other way? Yeah, it does. And I think physical decluttering is a little more accessible to people, partly through um, Marie Kondo and sort of the more mainstream acceptance of decluttering. Um, But it does domino effect in and out. Whichever you start with, you want the rest of it to match. So if you feel calm on the inside, then you want your environment to also feel calm, whatever that really looks like for you. Sometimes Mm -hmm. the people's own definition of sort of calm and declutter varies based on what they value. And if they love Mm. their collection of snow globes or they want absolutely nothing on any surface, um, that can be both are manifestations of people's like ultimate calm and like relaxation. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, Julia, out of curiosity, um, so you help people make these sort of life changes. How do you perceive change in your own experience? Are you a person who, um, who really enjoys change? Or are you a person who, um, you have strategies for when it shows up, but you have other feelings when it shows up as well? What are your thoughts about change? Yeah, I would say if you asked me this, maybe 15 years ago, Uh I would have been like, I hate change. I don't, nothing should change. I try to control the outcome of everything, like raging perfectionism. Um, And I was under a lot of pressure as a teenager. Mm -hmm. And now, particularly, I would say in the last two years, I'm just like, bring it on. I, I like moving. I like helping other people move house. I really enjoy um, anything that comes up that's unexpected to me. Because for as much as I really like to know what's going on, and I ideally like to know know it all in air quotes, it's so much more exciting. And uh, like it, it's just so much more of a robust human experience when you don't know what's going to happen because you don't know what's going to happen. Spoiler right. alert. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Certainty so, is an illusion. It's true. Yeah, it's so true. And, and so, yeah. And now I just really think it's thrilling and exciting and I kind of can't wait to see what the next like change is going to be. And it also gives you an excuse to like, as a recovering perfectionist, like, give up on the trying to make the thing how you thought you wanted it to be like, let it just become what it's going to be. Oh, that's such a relief. Oh, wow. I love that. Um, Gosh, that's really, that's a really lovely way to think about it. I I often think of, um, you know, I'm really interested in the idea of the infinite game when it comes to business um, and I apply it to projects as well. It's like you play until you lack the resources or the will to keep playing. And to me, what that means is not that like someday you're going to hate this and quit. It's the opposite. It's like, well, let's just see how far we can take this or see how far this is fun to take. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, this podcast is a great example. It's a project that uh, started out of a sense of curiosity for me. And at this stage of the game, I'm just like, well, what comes next for this project? And at some point, 
the podcast will feel complete to somebody, to listeners, mm-hmm. to me, to I don't know. At some point, it'll be complete or it won't. Or I'll just do this for the rest of my life. But I don't know yet. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way to know that you yet. You find I'm just, out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm discovering it as I go. Time will tell. Yeah. Um, and it's also, yeah, it's just, it's a fun, it's a fun thing to, as to notice as I build relationship with my listeners and as I, um, attract certain guests and just what it is becoming is also really interesting to observe. So I love that idea that, um, rather than trying to make something fit into a mold, you're going to just sort of like wait and see and discover and be in that place of openness. What a, what a lovely, what a lovely thought. (laughs) Um, well, so you mentioned earlier, like you've referred to this a couple of times when you were younger, you said, but you strike me as all like you look rather youthful. Um, <laughs> and that, yeah. You know, it's not uh, it's not polite to ask a lady to reveal her age. Um, so I won't do that. But when you say younger, how how what do you mean and how far back are we reaching? Yeah, well, I guess yeah, I'm asking you your fair. age without asking you your age. Yeah, yeah, Just a few fine. context clues no and the rest will guess. Age. Yeah, it's all good. I graduated from high school in 2007. Yeah, I'm 31 <laughs> now. Uh, I'll be okay. 32. Okay, so you are very young. Yeah, yeah. Relatively speaking, yes. Although I feel like um, because I've had such a progression in sort of po- life post-college, I worked mm-hmm. as a graphic designer and a web designer, and then I worked also concurrently as a professional home organizer, and then had this break for cancer, and then moved into coaching. And so I sort of think of my youth as uh, the part where I was really still figuring out, like being human being. I have not, yeah. for the record, figured out how to be a human being. Uh, I have news for you. I have it. I take it on good authority from my elders. Uh, that there's mm-hmm. no such thing as figuring it out. Um, great. As long as you're breathing, <laughs> great, you're though. still figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah. I support that. Again, let it unfold uh, as yes. it comes. So, yeah, I just think um, I, it probably mostly refers to my mindset of mm. like this kind of infinite, there's always tomorrow to do this other thing that I love. There's always more time where now I have this very finite sense of, how precious life is and Mm. you don't always get tomorrow. So what can you do today that supports, uh, you know, what you care about and obviously plan for the future, plan all the trips. I love a spreadsheet on my trip to Hawaii kind of thing, Uh, but (laughs) just give it some space to, uh, you know, uh, exist uh, without too much uh, grasping too much of the expectation. And then, but also like, setting yourself up for a life that you enjoy all of the above. So, yeah. You know, the idea behind this whole show is, is to just really think about these moments that shape us in our lives. Would you share a story uh, from a fork in the road in your own experience? Absolutely. And I have a kind of a two part story, but they're related. Uh, Okay. So I would be glad to share both of them with you. Great. Amazing. So the first, I'll take you to October of 2018. I was 29 at the time. And I am uh, standing in LAX airport. And my flight is slightly delayed. So 
there's that awkward period where people, everyone who is sitting decided they should get up to go to the bathroom and then everyone kind of loses their seats and you're all sort of milling about. Okay, so if you're not familiar with LAX Terminal 6, maybe you are, um, there is the middle section of the terminal is sort of this circle that's like two hallways that wrap around an interior that have bathrooms and those little convenience shops and things. And so when you're at a gate on the like outside edges of those hallways, you really are just in a hallway and there's people milling around you both from your flight, but also people like running to get to their own connections um, and things like that. So just me in LAX on my phone, talking on my phone, actually not looking at it, which is kind of funny for 2018, but <laughs> people milling about. I'm on the phone scheduling a needle biopsy at UCLA for the lump that I've just found in my neck, which I've corroborated with an endocrinologist to in fact be a lump uh, that I should be concerned about. So as I'm, you know, I took the opportunity in my delayed flight to like get that out of the way. My appointment is scheduled for the morning after I get back and that's when I'm supposed to go back to work. Um, and so I immediately hop on my, on my text phone <laughs> instead of on the real phone and tell my team, which was about two people at that point, um, like, hey guys, I think I said a little bit about having some doctor's appointments, but blah, 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 and updating them about it. And when I come back on Wednesday, I'm not going to be there in the morning because I have to get a needle biopsy. I remember saying there's like a 50-50 chance that this lump is cancer and 50-50 benign. But either way, I'll definitely be having surgery at some point. So the needle biopsy is just necessary. Find out what the next steps are. So I send that off. Of course, there's a message that's a little much, but I realize now that there's no good way to tell someone you have cancer. So it just pick the route that you uh, feel comfortable with or that you know they'll see uh, and just go with it. Um, so that was my, my teammate responded back to me with like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. That must be really scary. And I was like, oh, like my heart is pounding right now, but I actually don't feel that scared about this. Like uh, it's just happening whether I want it to or not. I have a lump in my neck that hurts when I move my head. So like, I just like to take the route where that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, and like, there isn't a version that I can go back to. So for me, that was like the moment, the first sorry of cancer was like, oh yeah, I guess things really are different. But that was like the beginning of me just being like, let's go forward. We can only go forward. Um, so really then the second part of that, because that's the kind of change that like happens to you of course, it grew in my own neck, but ignoring the intricacies of that, um, it, it wasn't something I asked for. Um, but then fast forward to January after my surgery, successful, helpful, had to do a radiation treatment, which in the case of thyroid cancer is a swallowing a radioactive iodine pill, which I did not know was a thing. Um, so I walk into the hospital, I have like parked my car through valet 
and I walk in and there's a very normal waiting room and it's like the same waiting room that people are waiting to get like colonoscopies like you're all just kind of there together and then there's this hallway behind the desk and that's nuclear medicine which I had never ever thought about before that moment uh and so I walk in and the hallway is actually really light and bright there's a lot of big windows and there's this chair at the end of the hallway in front of one of the big windows with this awkward little table in front of it and there's this little metal it sort of looks like a tiny cookie jar and sitting on the table in front of it and I was like oh okay I guess that's me like I'm supposed to sit there so they were like here's where you go but before we open the container which has the radioactive pill in it uh do you have any questions and I was like well I guess just so that I'm remembering correctly because I had to not eat salt or iodine for two weeks before the procedure and I was like when can I eat salt again um like <laughs> sea salt and they were like oh in, in a couple days you know once the half-life is kind of over and I was like oh awesome that's great and the one guy was like oh I like I I bet you're so excited to eat like pizza again like that's that sounds amazing and I was just kind of like that's such a funny projection too because I was like Dude, I can't wait to eat salmon. <laughs> I am all about this fish life right now. And and that it it sounds like such a small moment. Um but for me as someone like the meal train that my friends put together in November before my surgery had been like I listed out my favorite foods and it was basically every combination of grains with dairy that you could possibly think of. So for me to be kind of a couple months out of there and just being like I just want fish and I kind of want vegetables and I want to put salt on the vegetables. Like <laughs> that was just such a pivotal moment to me and that was like the internal change that the the change within me as opposed to the thing that happened to me. Uh, and yeah i think both of those just really stick with me uh kind of every day really yeah those two distinct moments the moment in the airport when you just were like oh this might be a big deal yeah. and then this yeah. second moment where you were like oh i might be different now mhm wow those are two really pivotal moments. I can we I want to go back to that moment in yeah. in the airport. I'm really struck by this image of it's relatable to me because prior to this year I just was always um working on the next client project and traveling as a, you know, as a consultant and trainer. I just was on the road a lot and mm -hmm. often multitasking at the gate waiting to board the plane. This is very relatable this idea that like you just were like, okay, it's on my to-do list. I need to send this email and let them know yeah. I'm not going to be there Wednesday morning. Um, when like you had a 50-50 shot and then it did turn out that you did have cancer. Um, mm -hmm. I just, I'm really struck by that. So you're, one of your coworkers then emailed you back and was like, really, they were really struck by what was happening. And that is when you totally. realized, oh, something is happening. Yeah. Because for me, it was, I, I also, I had a little bit of a runway, no pun intended, on, uh, I'm the one that found the lump in my throat. So yeah. I knew going in, like, it's 50-50, but like, 
I would be shocked if it's not actually cancerous. Um, and so I was very, people kept telling me like, you're so matter of fact about it. Um, and it didn't strike me that I should be really upset about it. Of course, I also had the luxury of a kind of cancer, thyroid cancer, that does allow you a little bit of space, like a little bit of time. Because there's some people where it's like, you get your cancer diagnosis and the next day you have surgery. And mm -hmm. I put mine off for about three weeks after I got the biopsy results and that was fine and nothing happened and nothing spread as far as we can tell. Um, so from my perspective, it all felt like just the next step that needed to happen, like on that sort of to-do list. And other people were like freaking out in the meantime. Um, and so, but I think it was a really important um, piece to say, oh, well, they're really concerned about this and they're concerned about me. And like, maybe I should pay more attention to my health. And maybe I should really be, I don't need to be experiencing this in a different way than I am, but maybe my awareness isn't open to all of the pieces of this um, mm -hmm. in a way that kind of encompassed the whole experience. Yeah. And so, during the experience, was there ever a point at which you felt afraid or the whole time was it just, I'm just going to do the next step. I'm just going to do the next step, which, you know, I've spoken to people who have had that experience. Um, in fact, one of the guests on the show, his first time through, uh, he had cancer twice. Uh, the first time through was just like that. He just was doing the next thing and he wasn't really mm -hmm. thinking about it ever. Yeah, I would say I felt very... Uh, chill about all of it um, <clears throat> until when I went back for the full pathology they're like we'll call you if it's not good and so then when you make it to the when I got into the appointment no one had called me and I was like okay great let's find out more but <clears throat> then the nurse walked in and said oh uh, they didn't call you and I was like oh, oh. <laughs> oh. Like, why did they need to call me? It, it turns out I had 20% um, of the cells or 10%. I can't even remember. I think it was 10 were really aggressive cells. Mm. And that's very unusual, particularly in women and people under 70. So overachieving cancer cells <laughs> over here. Uh, you know, yeah. It's, it runs very deep in my DNA, apparently. Uh, so I think that was the first moment where I felt disappointed um and kind of saddened by the fact that like it wasn't just going to be something that was going to tie up neatly this was going to become like my everyday experience and I think part of that is like every three months I get blood work and every year I get an ultrasound so there are these constant like checkpoints that mm -hmm. I call my cancer cadence now um but What's been so beautiful about that is I, I had one night that I Googled tall cells because those are the aggressive cells. I had a uh -huh. minor like anxiety freak out, like adrenaline. And I was like, yeah. never again. I'm, um, Wait, but it was really just You had the anxiety moment. freak out as a result of Googling or prior to Googling? Yes. Uh, because of Googling it. Because people <laughs> okay. with tall cell cancers, the mortality rate is really bleak. Um, and you know, my doctors had been saying like, 
if you have a recurrence, which I call a continuation, because it would just be a continuation right. of growth, but it, it maybe it'll be in five years, it could be in 40 years, and maybe it's never, but like, you know, at some point, it's not necessarily going to be the thing that kills me, basically. So, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. My, so my mother survived breast cancer a few years ago, mm-hmm. two years ago, three years ago, uh, which runs in my family. And um, mm-hmm. some of my family members have the BRCA gene and some of them don't. Yeah. I'm, I haven't gotten tested because I'm kind of like, well, either I'm going to get that or I'm not. I Totally. Um, but also what was really notable to me was at the time I, f- I felt so powerless to help this person you know, this person that I care about, even though I was Mm -hmm. helping as much as I could, you know, she was on her own journey. And during that time, I went and talked to my dad about some of the feelings that were coming up. And, and he was like, you don't know that this will kill her or that she'll recover. He's like, there's a million possibilities. And that's part of the beauty and the sadness of life on this planet you know he was like um she could get over it and then get hit by a bus she could get hit by a bus before she has a chance to get over it she could a piano could drop on her head if you've watched cartoons then you know how often that happens i know constantly (laughs) things are always dropping out on on cartoons um but you know and it, it the idea that safety, longevity, consistency, all these things are, they're illusions that we, we spend so much energy seeking. Um, when the reality is, as you mentioned, we have what's happening right now. Um, and you also mentioned, uh, before you shared these stories that you, um, have a different understanding now of the preciousness of life. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think it it totally ties into the experience of cancer, but I also had the experience of um, one of my organizing clients in 2016, her husband passed away unexpectedly. And I was there to kind of help pick up the pieces of like all the organizing puzzles. And I was like, gosh, like he loved his work, but also there were a lot of things still on his sort of, to-do list for life. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, wow, I've been working 75 hours a week for the last five years with nary a vacation. And so that was kind of the first seed of like, there are so many pieces of my life that I I love that I haven't been doing because I've only been working. And so then partnering that then with getting cancer, it's like, Oh yeah, I don't I don't have any idea why I was operating under the illusion that I was going to definitely live a like a full life in air quotes uh, as people love to say. Um you know, genetically speaking my grandparents all passed in their 80s. I have one grandma who just turned 95. She's still mm-hmm. alive like okay, genetically speaking the outlook looks great, but to your point with, I say this all the time now, is like, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. Like in one second, everything could be different. And so I want to stop living my life as though I get another moment to redo this thing. And it doesn't 
mean that I don't sit around watching Netflix and I, you know, because I enjoy that. I like the learning of it and the experience. So, but it's just making sure that that doesn't consume my life or Mm -hmm. that I'm not spending my time on things that don't matter to me. Uh, Yeah. And it just, you know, I'm, I'm obsessed with mortality now. Um, Maybe to the chagrin of most people, although I found some other people with a similar curiosity and I just think there's no better way to find clarity than to be like, if you had six weeks to live, what on your to-do list matters to you today? Yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting. Uh, yeah, I often think about, you know, there's there's different buckets for prioritizing things. There's the things that seem urgent and important. They seem that way, whether they are or not is a little. But urgency and importance, right? Yeah. This is the, this is mm-hmm. the stuff that's like important but not urgent, urgent but not important, mm-hmm. um, not urgent, not important. <laughs> there's like all these totally. categories and when you sit down and actually think about where you want to put your energy, most people are putting most of their energy on urgency, whether it's important or not. And then all this mm-hmm. stuff that sits in the important but not urgent category gets ignored. But the thing is, is that's the really important stuff. I you got to get to that stuff that's so important. This urgent stuff is super not important. Um, and so it's, re- <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I think when you, phrase it that way like you've got six weeks where are you now putting your energy you probably let a lot of that urgent unimportant stuff slide yeah and and again it's a beautiful thing to like plan for the future and have these big dreams and goals and hopes it's not like a sort of nihilistic approach it's really just like there are only a certain number of hours in each day and Uh how can you make sure that you're spending those hours doing what matters to you. And yeah. I love that. Um, You mentioned this moment of this guy being like, you're going to be so excited to have pizza, aren't you? And you were like, Mm no, I want salmon. And realizing something has shifted inside. Uh, So what, what are the, obviously this perspective has come from this experience, but or at least it sounds that way. But what are some of the other noticeable changes that resulted from this chunk of your experience in this life? Yeah, I mean, without being too sweeping, I would say everything. Not to <laughs> exaggerate, but like everything. Yeah, everything. No, and in a lot of ways, my apartment is still the same. I've been here for five years. My husband and I are, we've been married for four, but we've been together for almost 13 years. And mm-hmm. my family is still present in my life. And a lot of my friends are still the same. Like the kind of obvious variables have all stayed the same. Um, but the way that I think about every moment and the idea that I think of life as a series of present moments, like that's blowing, like, as I said, younger me's mind, because that's, Mm -hmm. I was so linear in my, like, you go to high school, you go to college, you do the things and it just lines up. Uh, and now it's like, oh, okay. So with that in mind too, I have. I started studying Japanese right after my radio iodine because it's something I've always wanted to do. Um, 
and I started, I learned to sew clothing and like, I've just been trying to do all these things that I kept saying, that would be so interesting to know, or I'd love to try that later. And now I'm like, I'm going to do it now. I'm going to look up the course uh, and I'm going to start like ASAP when I can. Yeah. Not overdo it though. Cause I, my overworker tendency can get in the way of um, slowness. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, um, I definitely find that overworking and perfectionism can easily translate to leisure time um, yeah. where it was previously applied to work. Um, yeah. So that, how do you strike that balance? Yeah. Well now on my to-do list, which I always have to write by hand because that's the only way my brain will remember it. Yeah. I, I specifically write in, like I have, I do yoga at 10 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And every Monday, Wednesday, Friday on my to-do list, it says 10 a.m. yoga. And then between my, some calls in the afternoon, I'll write walk. And then I'll write uh-huh. out the food that I planned to make that day so that I love the sensation of checking things off a to-do list. Uh-huh. And it turns out it doesn't have to be work-related to be super satisfying. It can still be like shower check <laughs> and and just uh giving myself a little bit of space and um you know I, I meditate every morning so the first thing I do is even if I feel like I want to like dive into writing a blog post is just be still it's fine I'll get to those things later so that kind of constant coming back uh yeah that's my that's my jam now <laughs> well um I have really enjoyed um, hearing your stories and thoughts. I will definitely be sharing your uh, link to your blog um, and other resources to listeners in the show notes. Um, But as we're bringing this conversation to a close, what is it that you would like people to take away from this conversation? What do you want people to know? Mm, That's such a good question. I think what I would love for people to pause and think about is, a lot of people know someone who had cancer or some other kind of big life change. And now they quote, like eat weird food and do these weird things. And I think it's not a coincidence that my fellow cancer survivors, like we, I don't eat sugar, like refined sugar, I should say. And like, these other elements it's it's not because we're weird it's because we're trying to live as long as we can and it wasn't supporting the way my body like could help me the takeaway is not to stop eating sugar that's not my takeaway please do you i I just wrote it down don't eat sugar no (laughs) don't eat sugar no but just being mindful i think the takeaway is like you always think that it won't be you Mm -hmm. to get cancer to have this big thing happen but like that's how all of the rest of us got here is we didn't know that would be us either. And gratefully, a lot of people won't have this like huge crash bang pivotal, like you're, you know, rug pulled out from under your moment other than the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. But just pay attention to yourself, learn to listen to your body and learn to listen to your own opinions on things because you're constantly fed a lot of external noise and what that external noise, uh, even for me, something that doesn't resonate with you, it's still kind of noise. Um, figure out what it can teach you about being your like true self and where you find wellness and health and, and reflection. So 
yeah, it was kind of a rambling way, really just to say, <laughs> like, have awareness um, and consider the fact that it could be you. Uh, and what do you want to do to support yourself? Uh, mm. To see, you know, to support yourself. Yeah. Well said. Um, yeah, well said. <laughs> that last bit for sure. Like, really. Like, cut out the really other part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. It's char- It's kind of charming, the all of that just to say, I like it anyway. Um, well, Julia, thank you so much for your time. I deeply appreciate you spending time with me and having this conversation and I really enjoyed it. Likewise, it was really a fruitful conversation. I appreciate (laughs) your, your insights and your curiosity. and I will probably say it again. Don't let disease, tragedy, or an unexpected wrench in your plans be the important wake-up call that you need to notice that your life is happening right now and there are no guarantees. The idea that we can truly create safety or guarantee our own longevity is an illusion. And perhaps I'm reminding myself more than you because Uh, I don't know. If you're like me, then you need constant reminders. I like working and I like checking things off of a task list. And I like adding things to my plate. But the reward for hard work seems often to be more work. And the tipping point is really easy to miss. And then all of a sudden, doing things that bring me joy can translate into my shoulders trying to support the entire weight of my body by climbing up into my ears. If life is about balancing contrasting forces, then perhaps this is it. Live like there might not be a tomorrow, but also like there might be. Enjoy today as if it's your last, but set your future self up to enjoy tomorrow as well. Know what you want and know what you need and know how to recognize the difference between them. Because theoretically, we get one shot at this life. So let's make the most of it. I want to hear from you. Have thoughts, feelings, sarcastic remarks, or a story to share based on listening to this episode? Help me keep the conversation going. Join the Facebook group, www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash change hub. Thank you for listening to the Change Podcast. Special thanks go to my family for their love, support, and patience. To all of the amazing Changed Podcast Patreon page members who I couldn't do this without. Art of Change Skills for Life and Patreon member producer, Dr. Rick Hirschner. I'm Aiden Nepom, and I wish you the kind of experiences in life you're excited to tell stories about.